That song kind of sums things up uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, a glorious day, talking about his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, uh, second coming. When we look at uh, heaven, when we talk about heaven, uh, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference what heaven's going to be like if you're not there. Um, that is one of the things we always want to make sure we talk about. We're, we're getting it. We're the 18th sermon on heaven and trying to get to know God maybe a little bit better by understanding what he has prepared for us. But, you know, you have that word gospel that we gets used in a lot of different ways. But, you know, when we say, you know, gospel preaching or gospel belief, what are we, what are we actually saying? Well, that song kind of sums it up a little bit. Um, it, the gospel is the good news. That's what the word means. Um, and it's good news uh, to those who uh, accept and understand it. Uh, understanding is a big part of it, those charts that we've been doing, and it's always nice to have a chart in your pocket. Um, the, the very, I, I changed that. I told you I was going to do that. So uh, the very top, it, you know, and they're out there if you want more. Um, when you die. Uh, that, that sounds morbid, doesn't it? Uh, it, it, it? Notice it doesn't say if you die. <laughs> That, that's, we all know that, you know, nobody has, you don't have to be a Christian, you can be atheist, you can be, you know you're going to die, right? I mean, that, that's kind of empirical evidence have shown that. And that's really what Jesus came for, was to say that we are in a, a state of lost, uh, lostness, that we are alienated from God. Now, again, it's a good way when you tell the gospel to somebody, you, you know, you can believe what you want, but do we know what Jesus said? That's the clear thing. That's clear. Whether you believe it or not, it's up to you. But when you die, what happens? Well, there's a judgment of faith. And Jesus says that, you know, that's what he comes on, very first line out of his mouth when he starts his public ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Repent. Well, you don't have to repent if you haven't done anything to repent of. You know, that's what the gospel is, that God in his sovereign wisdom sent his son to show us that we are lost without him, to live a perfect life, to offer himself up for us. You know, and, and sometimes I, I know as a Christian of many, many years, it, it, I hope that never gets, like, boring to you. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus died for my sin, blah, blah, blah. I go, no. <laughs> you know, and I suppose it's different in how emotional we get with The songs really help. Um, the, the, the idea of that he's the center of everything. You know, that's that believe in Jesus and trust in him. That's all there. It's very simple. <laughs> we make it so hard, you know. And... As C.S. Lewis said, if you aim for heaven, you may or may not get it. But if you aim for Jesus, you'll get heaven thrown in. That's kind of what this is all about. The idea that Jesus is the only way. So when you ask a question here, um, in the new heaven and the new earth, you know, after all of this stuff happens, and, you know, the old, I guess the, there were, will be people that won't die, right? And who will those people be? The lucky ones? No, well, the ones who are still here when the second, we talked to him, one day he'll come, we, re, we sung about that, that is the, the, the second coming is what we wait for, have no idea when it's coming, uh, but just be ready if it does, that's the idea. But when we have a new heaven and a new earth, you know, it's in vogue, and I've done this myself, it's like, you know, there's songs out there, we just need Jesus. Well, yes and no, well, we want anybody besides Jesus. And if you do, is that bad? 
you know, think about it, you know, if, 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 if you could, when you, when you die, I'm not hoping this happens. It's slick out there. Be careful. I don't want anybody hitting their head. Um, but it, when you die, if you died in the next couple days and you got to have in your belief, who would you want to see? And I know what the right answer is. It's the right answer of pretty much every children's sermon question, right? It's like the kids said, you know, in, in the children's sermon when they're saying, well, who was it that went up on Mount Sinai and got the law from God? And the little boy says, well, I'm not really sure, but I know the answer is Jesus. Well, that was actually Moses. But, but, but yeah, you know, we're supposed to say, oh, I want to see Jesus, and I do, but there's other people I want to see too. And that's out there. It's like we just need Jesus. If we just have him, we don't need anything else. But then you look back in Genesis 2 in the creation's account. Adam was, was created. And before him, a lot of animals created everything. All the natural things were created. And the Lord God said, and this is the first time he says this. If you remember in Genesis 1, he creates this. It's good. Creates this. It's good. Creates this. It's good. And the Lord God said it's not good. Now, who did Adam have? He had Rover. He had Felix. Heck, he even had Flipper. But and he, guess who he really had? He had God. At, at probably a level that we can't even understand because no sin yet. But what did God say about that? It's not good that the man's alone. Ooh. That's that we, it's one way to look at it. Yes, is Jesus the only one we need for salvation? Yep. <laughs> but in life, Jesus never taught that. We have to be careful with this. There are times in life, if you've seen the, the, the movie, if you haven't read the book, Unbroken, with the prisoner in the Japanese theater, by himself, along with others, with little scrap of psalms, and maybe God was all he had. And so that's a situation where, yes, God is enough. And God is enough for then, but yet God didn't just create one person. He could have. He could have just created Adam and said, you know, this is good. You know. We'll watch the game together. But who, who's going to play? <laughs> Got to create some more people just to have a team, Right? God made people to need and desire others beside himself, and that's okay. Now, if we desire only other people above God, then we've got a problem. Yes, that's the foundation. And you think to take pleasure in another image bearer pleases God. Uh, we, we had this, this is the greatest commandment. It's Matthew 22, if you uh, can remember that. You know, the first commandment I talked about with the kids, this is the first and greatest commandment. Without this, the rest of it doesn't really matter. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. It's just another way of saying with all you got. And I don't care what you say. This is hard. There's days when I'm really good at this. You know, when we're worshiping and I saw some of you guys moving around a little bit. Be careful. You know, don't, don't enjoy worship too much, you know. Just kidding. Everybody worships different. You want to raise your hand, raise your hand. If you want to sit there, sit there. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> Just encounter God the best you can. It's the old adage, if you're, if you're worshiping God or you're following Jesus and you're, not, and you're bored, you're probably doing it wrong. You know, that's, uh, 
doesn't mean you have to be goofy either. But if you start rolling on the floor, we'll probably take you out. You know. <laughs> start rolling on the floor, we'll probably, you can roll on the floor, just not here. How's that, you know? Because it is corporate worship. But, but, but he goes on. So that's the, you know, it's hard. It is hard to do that. That is the goal. But we always fall a little short here. Maybe that's what's going to happen in heaven. We'll be able to do that because the sin will be gone, right? We'll be eventually changed. We, you know, we, that song said that too, that we'll be changed. And we talked about that last week about from a redeemed state for believers to a glorified state. And we talked about all the things we can do, you know. I remember in the track, I, one time, one time, in all my days, I got over six foot and I, I jumped. Of course, not when it really mattered. <laughs> not when you get, you know, I'm wondering if I can get like seven or eight in the new heaven and new earth. I don't know. We'll see, you know. Of course, now it's all in meters, and I don't know how hot people are jumping. It's kind of hard. But the second greatest command, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the entire law, Jesus says, hinges on these two. Jesus never saw these two loves as incompatible. It's not like if I love Jesus, I can't love others, or if I love others, I can't love. No, it's both. You can do that. Love is interesting that way too, isn't it? Love is something that can continue and can grow. It's not like I have, you know, 37 points of love and I have to divvy them out in different places. No, it can, you can love someone and then love another way, someone in a different way, and it's, it's okay. God can do that. It just keeps going. And so we don't want to see Jesus as the only object of our love. There are others too, and that's good. God wanted that. He, he, he made us that way. So in the, in the new heaven, those loving relationships are going to continue. And I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me feel good. I, it almost makes me feel bad to think, and I do think this, that God's not enough. Well, it depends what you mean by that, right? God is enough but he has created other people. And why wouldn't we want to see them again and, and continue those relationships? I said that, you know, when we do these, uh, do memorial services. I like that, I don't know where, I think I came up with myself, but I'll find out I probably plagiarized it from somebody. But this is a temporary separation, temporary separation. Isn't that true? It's a temporary separation. I'm not really fond of the temporary separation all the time, but you do get to continue those relationships. That's another promise. Um, but you don't want to just want the person you want Jesus to, right? In fact, even more important, I can want a person really, really bad, but not want Jesus, and I'll never see that person again. You know, so again, aim for Jesus. So, Paul, in the, in the letter of Philippians, if you really, you, people say, why do you go to the Bible? It's like hopefully to know God, but some, you know, do you go for comfort? Do you go for challenge? If you want a real good letter to kind of pick you up, which is this, if you didn't know that, um, Philippians. There's not much, there's not, there's very little negative in Philippians. It's just a real joyful letter. So, so it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and defending and confirming the truth of the good news or the gospel. God knows how much I love you and how I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. And some of these people he never saw again. Or did he? That's what we're talking about, isn't it? 
You know, this is really good stuff, isn't it? I mean, to really know that if we truly believe that all those people that we have lost, we'll get to see again. That's really cool. It's what we've been created to do. Those relationships are supposed to continue. It's a temporary separation, a temporary suspension of relationship. So just remember that finding joy in Christ does not kill our joy for longing for others. In fact, it should heighten it. You know, you think about when you go to heaven, you're, you know, are, are we all just going to stand in line to talk to Jesus and then you talk to him for a while and get back in line? Well, that's, I think it'd be cool, but what are you going to do in line? Hope they give us cell phones. Gives us something to do, right? I think there'll be more people that, that will be, be around, you know. Uh, I think that's what we're supposed. So I hope you understand that. Again, we're not saying that Jesus isn't the main thing. It's just that he himself has told us that I've created these people for you, for each other, to be there for each other. And that's a good thing. It's not good for people to be alone. But if we are alone, we know God is with us, right? What will we remember? You think about, uh, if you want to turn to Isaiah 65, you're welcome to. We're going to be flowing through a few different texts here. I have to remember that I've got it on the iPad so I can pop, pop real quick, and you're, some of you are doing the page thing. And, um, what do they call those things? Books. Yeah, they still have those, right? Yeah. <laughs> what will we remember? You know, you, you think about, do we, will we remember the things that were really, really sad? We remember the things that, the, the failures that we had. Um, well, Isaiah 65, 17 is one of those verses people uh, use to say we won't remember anything. Um, I'm not completely convinced, and I'll show you why. Um, in my version, I've got the ESV. It says new heavens and a new earth, which is kind of what we're talking about. I don't know if you knew that. We've been in Revelation a lot, 21 and 22, which certainly, but Isaiah Starting about 61 starts talking about that. Heck, Isaiah 11 is probably about the new heavens, and we'll hit that at the end here. So he says, for, for behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And people use that, and I think it's okay, you know, one verse, that we won't remember anything. So I won't remember that the Bears won the 1986 Super Bowl. But I kind of like to remember that, because it's the only one they won. It, what does that really mean? Well, go back a verse. Remember that little ditty that we get from Greg Kokel? Never read a Bible verse? What, what does he mean by that? Look in context. What are we talking about? If you go back a, a little bit, just one verse is 16. So that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes on oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and hidden from my eyes, God said. What does he mean by that? You know, you, you look at Jeremiah 31. Here's another help. And no longer shall each one teach the neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Is he talking about that God's just going to forget? Is this selective amnesia? I mean, I'm sure we all got things we'd like to forget. <laughs> I think it's the idea that they're no longer held account anymore. They don't count anymore like they used to. 
That's what he's talking about. We get it in, in the Psalms, you know, I'm going to separate your sins as far as the east is from the west. It's a metaphor, folks. It's not saying you're not going to remember anything. God chooses not to bring up sins and past evil. You're forgiven. Wouldn't that be annoying if every time you saw Jesus, you said, well, remember when you screwed up back in 2022? It wasn't good. So, well, I, I don't think I'm going to get back in line. I mean, that's all, it's not held against. And then just as an aside, this is, this is helpful for forgiveness in your own life. You know, you've heard the term forgive and forget. I haven't used the S word for a while, so that's just stupid. You can't do that. But you can treat the person like they didn't wrong you, right? We, we do this in marital counseling. It's kind of like, if you say you forgive your spouse, and then every time you get in another discussion, you bring it up, you really haven't forgiven them. You're not going to forget it. I realize that. But you've got to treat them like you Do you want God to bring it up every time? Well, don't you do it either. I, I know that's not easy. But don't tell somebody I forgive you and then bring it up every time you're mad at them. It don't work very well. Well, yeah, and I've done it, <laughs> We've all, but we shouldn't do it, should we? God's not going to do that to us. The past evil's gone. Then think, we talked about this, the principle of continuity, that when you, who you are now is who you will be in eternity, just glorified. You don't become a new, different person. And our past lives are part of us, aren't they? I mean, think about why are you going to, if you think of, you know, who, who do you want to see when you get there? You can think about that yourself. How do you know that person if you forgot everything? You're walking around, the person says, hey, it's good to see you. And it's like, who are you again? I don't remember you because God took all away my memory. Well, I don't want that. So I think we just have to be careful with this, you know. It's a little hard. Again, I've used this book a few times, and it's a little, little bit of a tough, it's not a tough read. It's very allegorical. It's called The Great Divorce, which means The Great Divide. It's by C.S. Lewis. He actually gets into that. There's a guy who's trying to get the, apparently they were married, and the guy was, uh, he, he's not a believer, so he's in hell, but they, they can talk. It's an allegory. Don't get too carried away with it. But, but it, they actually have a conversation for a couple pages about, how, and she, it does a really good job. I'm not going to try. Get the book. Um, she talks about how even knowing the evil of the past does not hurt the joy of the present glorious heaven. That's kind of cool. I kind of like that. And, and C.S. Lewis does a lot better job than I just did. But it makes some sense. If you go to John 20, I said we'd be bopping around a little bit. This is an account we often use during Holy Week, uh, but I just want to hit this because think about this. Are we going to remember anything bad? I think that's what people say. Okay, well, he gets rid of our bad memories. Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how new heaven and new, new earth works, but my bad memories sometimes help me. You know, a three-year-old remembers the second time not to touch the stove. That was a bad memory. But without that bad memory, you keep touching the stove. You know? And I think sometimes those can be helpful. When um, you go back to, to verse uh, 24, you know, you had Thomas. We, now we all know what to call him, right? He's not doubting Thomas. He did it for like a few minutes. 
He's a trusting Thomas. We've got to give him, give him some kudos. As far as we know, he went to India and got the gospel over there. Um, so he, you know, I need to see it. And then eight days later, verse 26, his disciples were inside. And he says, peace be with you. Put your finger here. Put your hand in my side. Touch my hand. See. He wants them to see it. Are those negative? Kind of depends on how you look at it. Do you think it hurt on the cross? You think Jesus forgot the cross? Do we forget the cross? Now, it had good redeeming qualities to it, but this shows us that, in fact, you know, I always wondered this, and maybe you guys could help me with it. When you get, if you go to your uh, life groups, I don't know if it's one of the questions you can add. Will, will Jesus still have the wounds in the new heaven and the new earth? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he will. But it shows that happiness in heaven is based on the appreciation of God's glory, his grace, and his justice, not ignorance of our past. I think it's possible we can remember things that did not go well in the past, but see maybe a little bit of why it happened that way. I don't know. But I think if we get this thing in our mind that God's just going to kind of erase part of our mind, it's almost like it's, not like it's not us anymore. You know, I know I've been hitting a lot of sports analogies, but it is Selection Sunday, if you didn't know, later. Kind of on my mind. But think about when you, when you go lift weights or you go practice or you go, or well, I went to the, the jazz uh, thing uh, Friday night. You know, we got to see these kids play jazz after they practiced and all the time they put in. But I, you know, think about all that time you put in, that's what makes it worth it, right? And so I, I think we have to be careful thinking that everything's just going to be forgotten and that we're just going to walk around in lily and rose fields and kind of skip around like a hippie. Not that there's anything wrong with hippies. If you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution, I thought it was pretty good. Um, interesting Chuck Smith and uh, Ronnie Frisbee and those things. It's like, it's a pretty good movie. If, I don't know if it's still playing out here, but that was a, a lot of hippies in that one, if you're looking for hippies. That's how hippies came to Jesus back then in the 60s and 70s. So, so I, again, summing this up, do you think God knows what he's doing when it comes to new heaven and new earth? I'm thinking, but... I think the memories will be fine. And somehow, God will make even those sorrows that we might have from the past somehow redeemed, even though we still remember and we may see why that happened. Well, what about marriage and families? This was a hard one for us. Um, in Matthew twenty-two thirty, it's actually a, a trick question by the Sadducees who didn't even believe in the resurrection, but they're trying to trick him about, you know, somebody who some woman who uh, was married to a guy and then the guy died and in Levitical law, you marry the brother and the brother died and done six times. It's like, when you hate to be the seventh brother? <laughs> what do they call that one? The black widow? <laughs> kind of seems like that. But they're asking him about, you know, what about marriage? And, and, and he says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And I think this verse has is, is caused trouble for people because you're like, well, you know, it's probably really good for people who have bad marriages. But for people who have good marriages, I don't really like this one. I'm not going to be married. And, you know what? 
And I think it appears that marriage as we see it here uh, on, in our way will, 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 be, will end in the new earth. But there's no reason to think that the relationship's going to end or be worse. I think it's going to be better. I don't know what it's going to be like. He doesn't really tell us. It's going to be closer. It's going to be deeper. Because I look around and I see some people. I think we've got some pretty good marriages here. And you don't have to raise your hand, but if any of your marriage is perfect? <laughs> Somebody raise it. I'll see you after class. No. <laughs> Room D. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, again, it, it could be very good, but that's going to be gone. Anything, any animosity, any problems, you know, that's gone. That's gone. You can get deeper, you know, and those good times can be better and better. So, I, I, I mean, I don't worry too much about that. I just think the relationships we have will continue to be better and deeper. And maybe it's something, maybe it's super marriage. I don't know. Uh, but, again, don't, don't think that from this verse. It doesn't make sense in the context of what the new heaven and the new earth. They'll be better, not worse. There's no way it could be worse. And we have to remember that. Uh, that it's not, don't, I don't know why we think that. I guess I do that sometimes too, as if God is just trying to kill your joy. You think about it. That's what we, the Christianity is seen that way in our culture now. I mean, what do you got to do if you become a Christian? Even the question is just bad. What do I got to do? It's like, I really don't want to do anything, but <laughs> what do I got to do? You know, can we change that? What do I get to do? Well, you get to go to heaven, which is kind of cool because the chart tells you that. I mean, it, it, and I catch myself that too. There's been days you think, well, you're the pastor. You wake up every morning and it's like, this is the day the Lord has made and I get to preach and this is going to be so cool. And a lot of days it's that way. Other days it's like, uh, is this Sunday? Seems like it was this Sunday last week. Yeah, I mean, there's days when we don't, but you, you get up, you do it. You know, it is a, it's a great job. It's fun. You get paid for studying the Bible. That's kind of cool. But uh, would that work if we all gave you like 10 bucks a week to study your Bible? <laughs> Just a thought. Um, <laughs> but again, we, we, we get that idea that, that, that God is going to take something away from us, and I think that's why we read this verse maybe through a little bit of a bad prism. That just because there's not marriage in heaven doesn't mean there won't be relationships much, much better in some ways. And I'm not going to use the other S word because this is a family audience. Um, but regarding physical closeness and romance, I thought that was pretty good, right? If you can't get that, see me in room D again, I guess. Well, Bob will be there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's a rabbit trail. I better not touch that one. Um, romance was designed by God. You know, here's your assignment for the day. You always get an assignment whether you do it or not. And I will give you a point, which we know means absolutely nothing, but it's still a need to get them. Um, read the Song of Solomon. I mean, God created this for good. It's just that we get it outside the parameters of what He wanted. So, what will that be? Will that continue? You know, you, you look in, in, in Mark 10, which gives us Genesis 2, 
This was a question about divorce. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So who did it? He came up with it. And what was his first commandment to the male and female before the fall? Be fruitful and multiply. You know, God came up with this stuff. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate, which I think will also go into the new heaven and the new in some way. Not the Mormon way. Always good to get a slam into a cult. Backhanded comment, right? But the way God puts it out there. So this will be there. I, you know, there's no reason to think this would be discarded without replacing it with something better. What's that something better? This is a line I've learned as a theologian. I don't know. But why would we think it would be worse? Don't do that. Quit thinking, and, and I have to tell myself this, don't think that following God in this life or the next is going to be make it worse than if you didn't follow Him. You know, the psalm, rejoice and delight yourself in the Lord, and then He will give you the desires of your heart. It's almost like God knew what He was doing. This is an interesting question. If you, this is the last, uh, I think, uh, one we'll be looking at from the text. Uh, Isaiah 11. This is, you've probably heard, the, uh, it's, it appears to be the new earth here. It says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fatted calf, and a little child shall lead them. A little child there is a word that is for an infant or a toddler. So we get the idea that a little child, you know, it, it's really, if they're leading them, they're probably crawling. Um, but the question comes, and I know we have people in our own congregation, you know, lost kids in infancy are, are very young. Um, well, the question is, will we be reunited? Well, that one's a yes. Uh, I think that's fairly clear. Um, but this is one of the things, this comes from Randy Elkhorn's book, uh, uh, entitled Heaven, uh, that a lot of these sermons are, you know, the, the, the way we're doing them comes from. It's possible the believing parents would be able to see them grow up. I, 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 it's something that he put in there. I don't know if this is true. We talked about this last week, that what, what age, you know, is the perfect, what, what will we look like there age-wise? Will there be any gray hair in the new earth? Is that a bad thing? I don't know. You could color it gray, I guess. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. But I mean, we, we talked about maybe around 30 years old. You know, how, what age were Adam and Eve created? That's, you know, probably similar to, but is it possible? And I think it's possible. I'm not saying this is true, but that, that a new, a baby that dies or a young child that dies, that that fam, that will grow up until they get to 30 and then stop? This is an Elkhorn thing, so don't get mad at me. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. I don't know. We had that in our life group the last week. It's like, will we recognize them if they're not infants anymore? What do you think? Well, you would think so. I mean, how hard would it be? I mean, Jesus could come up and say, there they are. This is the one. And then you can move on. So I don't know. Um, 
if, if that will be that way. You certainly don't want the little kid to be the little kid the whole time, right? Do you want to be a baby for all eternity? I mean, it's cool for a while, but I'd kind of like to grow up. Could we do that? You think, well, that's my, well, what about the kid? Or I want my grandpa to look like he's 86. I don't think grandpa would like that. You know, so you, again, I think God will work that out, but uh, this is just something he put out there. It's just that God's got this in his hands, and I think we need to remember that. In this Isaiah passage, there's a lot of peace going on here, right? And I think that's what the point is, that don't think that going to heaven is going to be worse than what's going on here, you know? I know there's a lot of cartoons and comic strips that say that you're just up on a cloud playing a harp. Have we had any harps yet? We're 18 weeks in, for gosh sakes. I think it's much more fulfilling and joyful than, than, than the boring. And, and I'm, you know, if you want to play a harp, I'm sure you can. Probably have to learn how. Um, who are our friends? We'll end with this. Who will be our friends in the new heaven and the new earth? You know, I've heard people, well, we'll be friends with everybody. Well, being a former actuary, of course, I, I think I did this slide. There's been 111 billion people that ever lived on Earth. Eight of them are alive right now, eight billion. So that means 103 billion people have died. I don't know what percent you want to go with that went to heaven. Let's go 40. <laughs> so you got like 50 billion people. That's going to take a while. There's going to be close relationships still. I don't know how that's going to work. When you look at Acts 17, we use this for dedications a lot, but it's a very, very interesting verse. This is Paul in Athens. He's talking to the philosophers. He's given them the gospel. He says, from one man, God has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of which they live. I was going to say I don't like to brag, but... I kind of do. <laughs> I shouldn't. <laughs> but but uh, I got a new grandson. Yeah. Isaiah, James, five days old. But I remember going to see him for the first time. My first thought was this soul was put into this family, and there's only one being that determined that. It's really kind of cool, isn't it? And this verse tells others, other verses, it just makes sense. God determines where you are. There may be days some kids are like, why did they do that? You know, uh, God does it. That's why you're here. He wants you to be with the people you are. That doesn't mean you can't move and all that stuff. It, that, that can happen. But in the new heaven and the new earth, why is that going to change? I'm not going to look for somebody I don't know when I die. I'm going to look for somebody that I know. <laughs> why wouldn't I? Because God determined those things and those things. So I think that's it. It's, it's God has in his hands. It's not arbitrary. And that, you know, any Christian almost has to believe in it. It's really kind of cool. We have no control over that. We have some control over when we have kids. We have no control over which soul God gives us. But God does, and I think he knows what he's doing. And that works in lots of ways. God may determine. I've got a couple uh, good friends that have adopted their kids. I don't, I don't think those kids need to say, oh, that wasn't God's. No, that was God's plan. This is a little bit different plan than some other plan. That's okay. He still determined those things, you know. 
Heck, we're all adopted into His family, right? If we believe. So, who will our friends be? Well, if you think about Jesus, Jesus came on the scene, and He was, you could say He's kind of a friend to everybody, but there seemed to be 12 that He kind of knew a little bit closer. Some families that, that He uh, we talked about that last week, that he probably hung out with Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and, and uh, Simon, the, the dad there, probably a little bit more. But there were sometimes, this is the account here in Mark 5, where if you remember, there was a synagogue ruler who's, uh, named Jairus, whose daughter was dying in Capernaum, and he went and sent for Jesus to come and heal his daughter. And on the way, she died before he got there, because he was healing somebody else at the point. Um, and they said, well, don't bother, you know, the teacher anymore. But he said, no, I'm, I'm going to go. So he goes, and she, she was in the upper room there, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. You know, and you can do a lot with that. He's probably trying to show him his power and giving him some teaching and all that. But I always, you ever wondered this? Do you think maybe Jesus just got along with these guys better? You know, when Jesus, you know, like, obviously, had some sarcastic jokes that they got them. Judas is going, what? I mean, even Jesus looks like he, maybe his personality was closer to some than others. So why wouldn't that be true with us, you know? You can have a lot of friends, but there's certain people you just get energized by, right? You're just like, well, this is really cool. I can spend more time with that person. And it's nothing wrong with other people that may not quite hit, you know? I mean, there's probably people out there, it's like, I don't want to hang out with him. All he does is talk about sports. Well, that's all I talk about. I talk about Jesus, too. But again, it, that's okay. That's the way we're wired. We're wired differently. Um, what is it saying? Birds of a feather flock together. You know, that's okay as long as you're doing God-honoring things. So I think maybe we will be closer, just like we are here. They'll be close. Maybe we'll have an eternity to figure it out, I guess, which is really good. And I'll end with that. Think about that. If you believe in Jesus, this life is important, but it's a blip on the screen of what he has prepared for you. And that's really good news. Let us pray. Father, as we look into these things and uh, remember what your son did and how horrible that was of having to allow himself to die on a cross and how painful and much it cost you to do that. Um, but we know it was the right thing and it was the thing that needed to be done. But may we remember that in the new heaven and the new earth that sin will be gone, pain will be gone, suffering will be gone, temptation will be gone, and we will be glorified and be able to develop relationships in a deeper way than we could ever imagine. We thank you for that. Thank you for giving us what we need here. May we always have hope of what we have in store for us. May our minds be fixed on you always. We pray in Jesus' name.